Okay, we're uh, we're studying in First Corinthians, chapter eleven. Oop, my clicker's not clicking. Something's discombobulated. That's what happens when you put a greenhorn on a job. <laughs> He's never done the morning shift. Ooh, did you do that or did? Hey, Brian, can you help him? He's, he's all messed up. <laughs> I'm not making, yeah, I guess I am making fun of him. But uh, he deserves it. He gives me a hard time. I must have had a holy roller up here Wednesday. Things went crazy. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11. Look, I'm still, you all, you still working on it? Okay, I'm working now. Uh, abuses of the Lord's Supper is what we discussed last week, verses 17 through 28. Uh, to this morning, we'll begin with verse 29. Uh, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Um, the purpose of the memorial, of course, is to focus on our Lord, what he sacrificed for us, uh, there's a number of reasons for our doing that. It's uh, for our benefit primarily, but it's also for the benefit of those who watch us. It's it's a it's a, a testament, if you will, to the people uh, of our faith in Christ that we believed He indeed raised from the dead, which uh, of course we do. Now, verse 30, for this reason, many people are weak, Christians are weak and sick among you, and many uh, sleep, died. Uh, the question is, of course, is this literal or figurative? Uh, generally, the primary response is going to be figurative. Uh, and why is that? Well, I think there's a few reasons. Uh, number one, God is love. He wouldn't do that to people. He wouldn't make people sick. He wouldn't strike people dead. That's not the kind of God we serve. Number two, God's different now. Yeah, the God of the Old Testament, he did stuff like that, but he's changed. He's, uh, I guess, matured perhaps or whatever the excuse might be. Um, but the God of the New Testament would never, ever do things like this. Uh, realistically, I think the reason we think that is because we just don't want it to be literal. Okay? Paul said because of the abuses of the Lord's Supper... Many are weak, sick, and sleep or die. Uh, we don't want to be struck dead by God. And perhaps this helps us lean towards the idea of it being figurative. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many people don't know uh, God. The being we call God, of course, we know to be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's amazing to me, and it always has been for a long time, how many people don't know him. Okay, you know, the kind that they believe in him, but they don't know him. And if you take him at his word, he's done things that you and I would never do. Not in a million years. But God did. Now, he's got reasons for doing it. He knows things that you and I don't know, and it, uh, it always works out for the best in the end. But some people, because it seems so atrocious to go into Jericho, kill every man, woman, and child, and then turn on the animals and kill all of them, 
that's such a heinous crime, we would think, that God wouldn't do something like that. I seen a thing yesterday on the History Channel. Uh, that's a waste of an hour. But uh, they were talking about that very thing, Jericho. And uh, they were trying to figure out how the walls fell down and all that stuff. It was just ridiculous. But uh, why? Because they can't take God doing something like that. Uh, it was the Israelites that caused the walls to fall down physically. And uh, they were the cause of the people dying. It had nothing to do with Jehovah. They killed all the people because they were very angry. They destroyed everything because of their temperament. Uh, that was the conclusion uh, on the History Channel. They have a lot of stuff. They have, they have a lot of good stuff. They have a lot of stuff that's really out there. But I think there's, uh, I think the fact that we don't want that kind of a God, it makes us nervous. Uh, would God strike me dead? I don't want to think he would. Uh, could he? Well, yeah, he created the heavens and the earth. I, I don't think it'd be a big deal for God to strike me dead if he wanted to, uh, but is it good to come to a conclusion just because that's the way we want it to be? And the answer to that is no. If you want to know God, you got to look at him. you got to see him as he presents himself. He wants us to know him. That's why he's revealed the fall of Jericho, he, why he revealed Sodom and Gomorrah. He wants us to see what happens when he gets angry. A lot of bad stuff can happen to people when he gets angry. Now, he's got reasons for it. There's a purpose behind it. It's not like we think. He just gets mad and flies off the hand and kills everybody. But uh, there's a lot of good that comes out of such things. Uh, think of all the children, for example, in Jericho who would have grown up most likely and been a pagan who did not. They would have been saved because they were not accountable for their behavior. Uh, there's those kinds of things to take into consideration. There's so much that God knows that we have no idea about that it's a foolish thing to judge God. When he says he does something, there's a, I know it's, the, it's for the best. Uh, do I understand it? No, I don't. But I know it's for the best because what God is love, and he only does what's good for people. People who are beyond hope, well, it doesn't matter really because they're beyond hope. But for those uh, who could potentially get to know God and for disciplinary measures or whatever, uh, it works out for the best. Let's think about that for a moment. Uh, God's uh, making people uh, uh, weak, sick, or die uh, Miriam is a case. Uh, she bucked up against Moses, uh, God's appointed leader. And God chose this person. He said, I want you to lead my people out of Israel. And Miriam, she thought she should be equal to Moses. Uh, she was his older sister. Um, she was as much involved in what was going on in her mind as Moses was, and she thought she deserved a, a, a higher position. Well, the Lord knew what she was up to, and Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Did God really do that? He said he did. I, I, I take him at his word. He was upset. 
he had appointed Moses. He didn't want Miriam to lead the Israelites, and he didn't want her to have a, a, a place of leadership in that capacity. But she insisted to have her way, and God made her a leper. Uh, God does things like that. Nadab and Abihu, remember them in Levit, Levit, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. You, uh, you recall that uh, they offered a strange fire to Jehovah. That means a fire that he didn't tell them to offer. They changed what God said. They did something different. And because they did, fire came down from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Uh, to read it as it ought to be wrote, fire went out from Jehovah and devoured them, and they died before Jehovah. Jehovah struck them dead. Why? They were disobedient. And because they disobeyed God, God struck them dead. Well, just because they did that, I, you know, I don't know what all was going on. These guys, you know, they weren't that great. God knew them a lot better than I did. But uh, it was important at the time for them to be struck dead. It was good for the Israelites to see it, that God is serious. You better listen. When he tells you to do something, you better pay attention to what you're doing. And uh, he struck them dead. Did God really do that? He said he did. Fire went from Jehovah. It was he who caused it to happen. We have Uzzah. This was one that used to bother me a lot. Uzzah, they were carrying uh, the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. And Uzzah, he, was, he, was, he wasn't a priest, but he was walking alongside the cart. And he was surrounded by people. And um, the, the cart, I guess, hit a rock or a hole, whatever it was. And the cart, you know, jiggled back and forth. And he feared that the ark was going to slide off the cart. So he put his hand up there to stop it. Uh, he wasn't supposed to touch the ark. He wasn't a priest. Only the priests could do that, or the Levites. Uh, and that only at certain times could they do that. So he did what he wasn't supposed to do. I can understand it. I, I'm afraid that if I'd have been in his shoes, not now because I know better, but um, say back when I first read about this event, if I'd have been in Uzzah's shoes, I'd have probably done the same thing. I would have reached up to try to keep the ark from hitting the ground. Uh, and I had a lot of empathy for this man. Well, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Now, don't read into that that just because God struck him dead, he went to hell. That's not what that means. God struck him dead. Okay, did he go to hell? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, given the, the nature, the character of Uzzah, you know, when the Lord struck him dead, David was very angry with Jehovah, and he made his feelings known in a very radical way. Uh, Uzzah, for all I know, could have went to heaven. He was punished by being struck dead. That doesn't mean he lost his soul. Some, I used to, when I would read things like this, I, I thought it meant that he went to hell. That's not what it means. It's not what it says, at least. It says he was struck dead. His spirit left his body. Well, where did his spirit go? I don't know. 
but it could have been, he could have been a saved person. Uh, from all appearances, which aren't much, he appears to have been a very godly man, trying to do a very godly thing. Instinct, he reached up, and he died. But what become of Uzzah? I don't know. The Israelites, they learned a lot that day. David was very angry with Jehovah, uh, but he got over it. It didn't take long. It's also seen in the New Testament as being literal. Herod, for example, chapter 12, uh, verses 21 and on. Herod, uh, the people were praising him. Uh, well, from what I understand, it appears that Herod was uh, glowing in the sunlight because of the costume he wore. Uh, he, he was shining so much uh, that his face was almost indistinguishable because there, he had this glow about him. And the people hollered that, that he, was, he was a god. And what he was supposed to do was say he wasn't a god. He was supposed to show the people he was just a man, but he didn't. They called him a god, and he ate it up. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms, a very painful, painful death. It takes several days <coughs> for the worms to uh, cause you to die. But uh, he was eaten on the inside by worms, and eventually he died. An angel of the Lord struck him. Okay, it was commissioned by God. God did such things during uh, the New Testament pages as we read. He did such things in the Church of Christ. And you know the, the account with uh, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Uh, they claimed that they gave more than they did. They wanted the glory from the church. <gasps> you gave so much money. <gasps> You're such a wonderful person. Uh, when really they hadn't, they gave a portion of it, but they let on like they gave it all. It's trying to steal glory from themselves, okay? Uh, then Ananias, he fell down. He breathed his last. He was struck dead, and also his wife fell down at their feet and she breathed her last. Both of these people were struck dead because they told a lie. They were in the church. Can God do such things? Well, he did. It's not, it's not a question of if he can or not. He did. And I would think he probably does. He doesn't change, does he? Isn't he the same yesterday, today, and forever? There were reasons for these two people being struck dead. A lesson was learned by the church that they needed to be very sincere in their worship. They never lied to the Holy Spirit. Sin may warrant severe sudden punishment. Uh, if the Lord strikes a person dead, we'll never know it. Because nobody's going to come and tell us that God struck a person dead. There's not going to be an angelic messenger. The Lord's not going to come back and tell us. If he chooses to do that, we'll never know it was God. We'll think it was a, a coincidence, most likely. 
because without divine revelation, we have no idea what God's doing. I know he can, I know he did. I assume he does because God's constant. Hebrews 10, 28 to 31, we have a warning. Anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three people who witnessed whatever it was done. Uh, they were put to death according to the law. Of how much worse punishment under the old law they died without mercy. Is there anything worse? Apparently there is. Because the Hebrew author says, how much worse will the punishment be? Do you suppose will he be thought worthy? These were those who were abandoning Christ. Uh, there, it's a long story behind the Hebrew letter. Basically, the, the Christian, Christian Jews, fearing persecution from their fellow Jews, some of them were slowly trickling back into the world. And the Hebrew author is trying to convince them, this is not what you want to do. If those who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy, how much worse do you think it'll be for those who reject Christ, the Son of God? Uh, well, he says it is who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, cleansed of his sins as a common thing, <clears throat> and insulted the Spirit of grace, he who gave them forgiveness of sins. Uh, when a person turns their back on Christ, I doubt that they understand what they're doing, what it means, what's involved. But the, the crime that's committed is uh, beyond horrible. Uh, I know people who have abandoned Christ. You do too. And they don't think it's a very big deal. Sometimes they'll say, well, a couple months, I'll come back. It, it's, it's trivial in the minds of most people. And I think it's because we don't really understand God. Uh, but God is telling us here what a person has done when they turn their back on the Lord. Uh, it's a very big deal. Trampled the Son of God underfoot. Counted the blood by which we were cleansed as a common thing. And done insult to the Spirit of grace. Uh, how much more do you think the Lord will punish such a person? Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, uh, they perished and uh, most likely most went to hell, okay? Uh, they were sentenced, they were judged by God and they were sent into the Hadean realm. In the Christian realm, those of us, especially us believers, who turn our backs on the Lord Jesus, our punishment will be much more severe than Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, my punishment as a preacher, teacher, elder would be much more grievous than yours. 
because the greater responsibility, the greater the judgment, or the stricter the judgment. You remember what James said in James 3, verse 1, uh, do not many of you become teachers. Think seriously and soberly about what you're doing because teachers, Bible teachers, uh, receive a stricter judgment than do Christians in general. Uh, responsibility brings greater accountability. And these things ought to be understood. I know I understand it very well, uh, what required of me, uh, but even of a Christian, uh, it's to die without mercy seems bad enough, but something worse than that just tears me all to pieces to think about. It would be horrible. This, this is God. You're taking a, this is a picture of God. You see it, you learn from it, and you understand God. That's how we get to know him. We know him who said, vengeance belongs to me and I will repay. That's God. I, I'm not supposed to avenge myself. I've got a bad habit that when I get very angry, I'll start to avenge myself. It's been a while, the last time I started to avenge myself, I heard a man to cry out, Daddy, and uh, well, in kind of a voice of panic, and uh, I changed my mind. I wanted vengeance. I was angry. Uh, and this is very hard for me not to do. Uh, but God said, John, you don't take vengeance. I'll take vengeance. You just do what you're supposed to do, John. Keep your nose on your face and keep it clean. I'll take care of your business. And that's what he's saying here. Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. Uh, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. The Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, look at God. There's your pictures. He's, he's showing us himself so we'll know him and we'll understand him so we can believe him and trust him. Taking Jesus lightly is a, a sin of the highest order. So during the Christian age, of course, our accountability is greater than any dispensation before us. The patriarchal, that was kindergarten. Their accountab there's accountability, but their accountability is like kindergarten. You go into the Old Testament, you're in junior high school. Their accountability is gonna be greater than kindergarten but not as great as those of us who are now in college. Because we're in college, our accountability is greater. It just makes sense. But, and that's the way it works, just the way our system works. A very little child, you pull them aside, you say, no, 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 don't do that. And if they do, we give them a little pat on the tushy. We don't hurt them too much, we just get their attention. But when a kid gets bigger in junior high school, you know, and you're looking him in the eye, you know, you got to get a little, sometimes you got to get a little serious about it. 
And then when they get up a little bigger than that, then you may have to take the bull by the horn, so to speak. Fortunately, I never had to, but uh, some people uh, would. Uh, our accountability is uh, the highest. And, hey, we got greater blessings than anybody before us. Moses wasn't blessed like you and I are. We know more than Moses or Abraham or Adam. We've got a much greater understanding of God than those people ever had. And therefore, there's more accountability. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. It is impossible. I know what impossible means. I can't jump to the moon. I've tried it, and I can't get there. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened by the gospel, by a knowledge of Jesus Christ, by a knowledge of God, enlightened. I see God. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They have become partakers or sharers of the Holy Spirit's nature. He is in us, and we become very much like him. Uh, how does that work? Well, it's not hard. As I ingest knowledge of the Holy Spirit whom I approve what I learn about him I incorporate in my own character when I want to do something I shouldn't do I'll usually remember what the Lord has said the Lord speaks to me through his word that lives in my heart because I'm a partaker of the divine nature I share in the divine nature, not perfectly and certainly not fully, but in part I do. The more knowledge and understanding of God I have, the more like God I become because he is in my very soul. It's impossible for those who have tasted the good word of God, the powers of the age to come, heaven, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. If they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Sometimes people who fall away, uh, they will let's say, come back to church as a figure of speech. Uh, they come back, they ask the church uh, to forgive them and to pray to God for them, and we do, because all we know is what we see. But there's a line that can be crossed where our hearts can be hardened our conscience can be seared. And we can't turn back to God again. We may do the go through the motions and go to church the rest of our life. But God doesn't have our hearts. I can't see that. You can't see that. The person who's living it may not even understand it. But the Lord does because he knows us from the inside out. 
the thing, this was the thing I feared more than any other thing since I learned and understood about uh, the hardening of the human heart uh, was that I might cross that line. You know, I've sinned long lives away. Uh, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've done things I shouldn't have done knowing I shouldn't do it, but I kept on doing it because I was getting away with it, okay? And when I learned about the hardening of the heart, I came to understand that a person can run from God so long that the heart becomes so calloused that I fear God, I don't want to be lost, so I go back to the church and ask for forgiveness, but I just can't give my heart to God again. It's too hard. Those who have truly been enlightened by the Spirit of grace, if they shall fall away, Paul's saying, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, to bring them to true repentance, because they, they just can't do it. They want to, they try to, but we can cross the line and we can't come back anymore. That doesn't mean every time we sin, we cross the line. Jonah crossed the line, he ran, but he didn't run far enough to truly harden his heart. He had some problems, no doubt about that. But uh, this is the thing I was always afraid of the most. And this is what the Hebrew author is talking about. It is impossible. I know what impossible is, and so do you. Since they have crucified again for themselves the Son of God, the same as they did on that fateful Friday when they nailed him to the cross, uh, we do that again. He is nailed to the cross. The pain, the agony of our rejection, the visibility people have of seeing his disciple turn their back on him, it's, it's crucifying him all over again. It's like that day was. And they put Christ to an open chain. Uh, this, uh, this is, these are things we really want to know. Well, I find it terrifying. I do. But I stay as far away from that line as I can stay because I know what can happen. So even though it pains me to read it, it aids me in keeping me to stay on the straight and narrow path because I know what can happen to me. I know what can happen. It happened to Judas Iscariot, remember? He couldn't repent. He just couldn't do it. He'd gone too far. And he couldn't go to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry for what I've done. He couldn't do it. So he hanged himself. The only recourse he had in his mind, because he knew himself, was to take his own life. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
Chastisement, uh, and this is perhaps one of the primary reasons for it. Chastisement can encourage obedience. Now keep in mind, uh, punishment is for the purpose of inflicting pain and even death. Chastisement is for the purpose of bringing a person to their sense, so to speak, to make us think about what we're doing. Do we really want to do this? So that's what there's a difference between chastisement and an outright discipline or destruction. Uh, Solomon wrote, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, because uh, the judgment against sin is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. If people get away with wrongdoing, they're going to feel like, I got away with it that time. I can get away with it another time. And then another time, and another time, and another time. And uh, the longer a person feels like they can get away with it, the more callous they're becoming in the heart until eventually they can reach a point where they too can't repent. The judgment can be long in coming, whether it be judgment uh, of the civil authorities or whether it be judgment by the divine authority. It can work either way. Herod, uh, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and he died. Uh, what does this teach us? The word of God grew and multiplied. Oh, can you imagine that? This man had died a very, very painful death because he robbed God of his glory. And you would think people would have got angry, people would have run, but that's not what happened. Just the opposite happened. This was proof uh, of the divine substance, the presence of deity in the lives of the church. And the word of God grew and multiplied after this event, verse 23, verse 24. That's the purpose of verse 24, to show that out of this punishment, well, more than punishment, out of this sentence against an evil work, uh, it caused the word of God to grow and multiply. Just the opposite of what you might think. Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. Everybody in church is going to be mad going to be mad at Peter. They're going to be mad at God. Why? All they did was tell why. You didn't have to kill him. Could have given him another chance. Yada, 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 yada. Everybody's going to be angry. If somebody in here was immediately struck dead, it would tear me up. It would break my heart. It would destroy my soul. And I, Lord, why did this happen to my brother and sister? It doesn't seem right. But that's not what happened. Instead, great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Uh, this disciplinary method that God enacted in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, instead of detracting from the church, it caused the church to be strengthened. That's like with children. You think, if I discipline my child, they may not like me. That's not what's going to happen. If you discipline your child, they're going to love you even more and more and more. When I was a teenager, uh, 
there was a guy's house where we would hang out at. Uh, his mother and father, they were really cool, in my opinion, of cool at that time. Uh, they kept the refrigerator full of beer. Uh, if we wanted uh, liquor, there would be liquor. There was always pot laying around. And we'd go over there and hang out and have a good time. Uh, and one day he was high on something, and uh, he started telling me, he said, your mother and father loves you more than mine loves me. I thought, man, were you crazy? He said, no. He said, your mother and father loves you enough to make you do what's right. My mother and father does anything I tell them to do. They don't have the love that your father had. And I was thinking, Daddy, you know, I, did, I never thought much about Daddy loving me. Uh, usually it was uh, Daddy <laughs> training me. And I didn't see or feel the love. And I thought, Bob, you're crazy, man. You, you've lost your mind. He's high. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Anyway, uh, one day I became a daddy. And I, I learned. Naomi, B.R.'s grandmother, told me one time, you don't, she's, in her words, she'd say, you don't whoop a child because you hate them. You whoop them because you love them. And I, you know, I let it go. She's old. I didn't pay much attention until I became a daddy. And I understood why you discipline a child. It is love that makes you discipline a child. That's why you do it. Some people say, I love them so much I can't discipline them. No, you don't. You love yourself so much you can't discipline them. You don't want them to get mad at you. It's all about you. It's not about the child. I don't want them to be angry at me. They may not like me. It's all about me. I hear that so much out of people. It's, you know, it's time to get past me and to care more about somebody else than I do myself. Do they get angry if I discipline them? Of course they get angry. I got angry. But one day, they too, well, now they have. They've grown up, and they do the same thing. But now they know why. It doesn't detract from the church. It strengthens the church. It builds the church up. And that's what the biblical examples will show us if we'll just keep them all in their context because this is what the Lord wants us to know and understand. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Well, what do I think? Um, I think it's primarily figurative, okay? Uh, could the Lord cause a person to be sick? Or could he strike him dead? Absolutely. God is God. He can do anything he chooses to do. And I'm not going to I'm not going to limit God on anything, because He's way, way too far beyond my understanding. But I think, I do think, for the most part, it's going to be a figurative discipline. People will be spiritually weak. Instead of becoming stronger spiritually, instead of exercising 
spiritual muscles, they won't, their muscles won't grow, and they'll be sicker simply by the process of time, spiritually. Uh, and many sleep, eventually they die. Now they sit in the church house, but they're dead. They're dead in a doornail. Why do they sit in the church house? Mostly because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. There's people, I hope not here, but there may be. There are people who are here or somewhere else, not because that's what they love, not because they want to grow in Christ and be knitted together with the saints, but just because that's what you're supposed to do. Somewhere along the line they died spiritually. And they don't really love the Christ. That's what the Lord was talking about in Revelation chapter 2 when he wrote to the church at Ephesus. Good works. Good, good, good works. And he praised them for it. But I have something against you. You don't love me anymore. You did. But now you don't. And you've got to turn that around. Because it's got to be about love. Not just sitting in church. Or doing what you're supposed to do. We'll have to stop here. This is very important. That's why I spent the whole time on one verse. It's very important. We don't want to die spiritually. We want to be like her. A little child.